one step in this long progress. It's been a team effort by us all the way. We're but part of the whole team that's worked so hard. The shuttle era will come to an end. But they won't stop inspiring, and they won't stop being a part of the fabric of America. We choose to go to the moon. and welcome everybody to another episode of the Talking Space Podcast. This is Talking Space episode 328 for the week of Sunday, July 3rd, 2011. I'm Sawyer Rosenstein and joining me tonight is Gene McCulka. Welcome, Gene. How you doing, Sawyer? Can't wait to dig in tonight. I can't wait either. I'm doing great, thanks. Welcome as well, Mark Ratterman. Good evening and to our friends and listeners in Canada, July 1st, just a couple days ago. Happy Canada Day. And to the listeners in the United States, happy Independence Day. On July 4th. And welcome as well, Gina Hurley. Hey, there are fireworks going right outside my window, and I think that's where we're headed tonight with the discussion. Yes, the celebration of the final launch of the space shuttle, which leads us right into our first topic, and that is STS-135, the 135th space shuttle mission, and the final flight of the space shuttle Atlantis and space shuttle program is currently scheduled for launch on July 8th which is next this coming week at 11.26 a.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time from the Kennedy Space Center in Cape Canaveral, Florida. Don't forget the entire team of Talking Space will be live at the Kennedy Space Center. Coverage starts at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time on astronomy.fm. All the information on that is on our website, but if the vehicle is not doing well, then there is no launch. So let's check up on the vehicle and STS-135. Gene, can you help us out? Sure, Sawyer. Um... Just this past week, uh, there was the usual uh, press events and so on, and uh, two of the uh, participants, uh, John Shannon and Mike Suffordini, had their remarks as far as how things were proceeding. Uh, So far, things are going well indeed, and uh, John Shannon had some very interesting remarks about uh, STS-135 and the preparations from that point and what they really, really had to do to uh, go ahead and ensure the flight was uh, was ready to go. So uh, why don't we go ahead and listen to uh, to John Shannon, who is the uh, the project manager here. Um, I, I tell you, I'm just extremely happy to be able to uh, to have the opportunity to talk to you about STS-135. This was a flight that we were not sure as late as um, really this January that we were going to have the opportunity to fly. Um, at that time, we were discussing the potential of maybe moving the uh, STS-335 launch on need uh, stack over to uh, to fly STS-135. But if you think about where we were in January, um, it looked pretty ambitious uh, to be able to do that and, and fly in uh, in late June as was being proposed. Um, in January, you know, we had a we had our significant technical issue with the external tank still in front of us that we were vigorously working through. Um, we had two flights that were ahead of us, including the uh, the really ambitious AMS flight that we just uh, just flew and, uh, and landed last month. And um, it just it just 
looked like it was quite a hill to climb, um, especially with the reduced workforce that we had, uh, knowing that um, we had been going through this progressive series of layoffs and that the, uh, the team that was, uh, was executing all of this activity over the first part of this year would, uh, the contractor side would either move to a different program or be laid off this summer. Um, in addition to that, the funding was, uh, was uncertain and uh, we had to stay below pretty aggressive budget marks uh, to allow us to extend the program out to, uh, to go fly it. And uh, here we are today. And uh, I just am, uh, am so uh, impressed by the team because we just came off of a great flight readiness review with really no issues at all. Uh, the, uh, the review consisted mostly of talking about past issues and, and what we had done to, uh, to mitigate them for this flight. Uh, we did a tanking test, which showed the rigor uh, with which we approach our technical problems, and it went, uh, could not have gone better. Uh, the tank uh, performed flawlessly. We did our x-rays to make sure that, uh, that we were in good shape. And, uh, and here we are, uh, ready to go roughly about 10 days after the, um, the uh, initial launch date of June 28th was just kind of thrown out even like last summer. And uh, for this team to have come that, uh, that far uh, under the circumstances that, uh, that we've been living under this year and, uh, and complete the two missions and then be ready to go uh, for this one, I think it's just a, it's just a huge uh, testament to, to how, how professional they are. As you can see, they had to come uh, overcome a lot of challenges, budgetary constraints, manpower constraints, and they are still able to go ahead and, and – and execute this mission. And Mark, again, you were you were referring to uh, on a previous program on how the MPLM uh, Raffaello had to be really, really jam packed to make sure that everything in there uh, was set and ready to go, and also that enough uh, enough uh, of of the equipment was ready to go. And that indeed was also a very, very interesting story. Yeah, this isn't the time to leave something out by accident. Yeah, indeed. Um, but the other thing John Shannon was saying uh, earlier no, – I'm, I'm sorry, later on – was that uh, a lot of the reporters were asking questions with reference to, of course, this being the final flight. And he said something rather interesting. He said, look, you, know, the, the, you guys outside the program seem to be lamenting the passing of the program more than, than we are at this point. Um, we want to go ahead and finish out strong. The people are, are not really thinking along those lines, although we've had time to prepare for that, he, he, he went on to say. But he also said we really are concentrating on trying to go ahead and finish finish strong, and and that's where our focus, focus is right now. It's really not on the uh, on the end of the program. And we will deal with that af afterward, but right now we just want to go ahead and make sure that uh, the bird is ready to fly. Uh, another speaker um, at their at the uh, press conference was uh, Mike Suffordini, who's the uh, uh, ISS program manager, and he too had some very interesting comments to say about STS-135 and its cargo from a uh, from a space station aspect. So why don't we go ahead and just run that as well? Well, good morning, everyone. Um, as John said, we're extremely pleased to be sitting before you today talking about uh, this flight, STS-135, from an ISS perspective. Uh, it is carrying up critical supplies. Uh, some folks look at this flight and perhaps don't see the excitement because we don't have a piece of major assembly hardware going up. But we've got the MPLM as full as we've ever had it from a cargo perspective. We've got the mid-deck full. 
Um, all of these supplies are going to be the lifeline to help us extend our uh, period of time we can go on orbit before our commercial providers uh, start flying regularly to ISS. And that was critical for us to give them the time they need to, uh, to make sure their vehicles are ready to go fly, finish their development, get their test flights behind them, and then start servicing ISS. So from our perspective, while it doesn't look very sexy, it's, a, it's one of the most important flights uh, that we've ever had come to ISS uh, from a shuttle perspective. So Mike Suffredini was saying that uh, indeed uh, STS-135 is critical because this goes, this goes ahead and buys time. It essentially buys about six months and allows um, allows the commercial folks to get their act together and uh, gives them a bit of a cushion. So then this way, folks like SpaceX and, uh, and Orbital and, and uh, everyone else could go ahead and make sure that uh, the, their, their cargo operations are ready to go. Uh, so again, this, this mission is, is absolutely critical uh, for the life of the International Space Station going forward. I mean, all we can hope for is that, because I know with this mission they've been talking about how they want to basically pack the MPLM, Raffaello, as full as possible so they can get as many supplies as possible up to the station, return as many things as possible, because I know storage up there lately has been a big concern of theirs. And so, if nothing else, even for just getting some of the clutter off the station, it can't hurt. Well, not only that, sorry, I believe one of the objectives is to bring home that failed uh, ammonia pump and understand what exactly went wrong. If you remember, uh, I believe it was almost around the same time last year. Was, I think it was around the end, end of July that uh, an ammonia pump failed, and uh, it required a, an EVA, to, a couple of EVAs actually, um, to go ahead and, and replace that pump. So the failed one is still sitting out there. And uh, this particular flight is going to go ahead and, and retrieve that pump, bring it home, and then we're going to probably go ahead and conduct some troubleshooting here to figure out just exactly went wrong, what went wrong with it and hopefully design, be able to design better pumps uh, for the ISS in the future. Because even if the shuttle doesn't fly, the station's still going to need repairs. So, that, yeah, that to never hurt. Exactly right. And again, Mark, you had a very, very good explanation and a really neat uh, neat presentation, I believe, on, on a previous program on how well uh, they've had to pack the MPLM and how neatly they've had to go ahead and, and do this. Um, it was almost <laughs> – they almost had to reinvent uh, logistical science in a way to go ahead and make sure that uh, everything had a place uh, – everything at a place to go ahead and and send up correct it almost uh, makes me think of packing for a trip and deciding to uh i mean it's not this extreme but but pack your trunk after you leave the house it's not quite that uh, quite that an extreme a change but they made a lot of adjustments and they did it to accommodate late stowage and uh, and getting the things that might come up at the last minute that they'd want to bring along I think I'm going to have to go ahead and try to see if I can pick up some techniques because I'm trying to figure out what we're going to be bringing for this trip trip of ours coming up. Well, if you can beat 97% stowage by volume, then you beat the uh, stowage on Raffaella. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be able to do that. I doubt any of and us I'll, can do that. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll introduce you to the managers that made that happen. They might uh, might want to have you come along and give them some pointers if you can pull it off. Oh, boy, I can't. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, they win, <laughs> hands down. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. 
Well, they'll pack that to the brim, and the station crew will appreciate that, because it's going to be a year or so. Alright, so continuing with a couple remarks regarding the space shuttle, I think the best person for this would be Charlie Bolden, who is the administrator of NASA, and he was at a National Press Club event speaking, and uh, Gene, can you tell us a little bit more about this event? Yeah, he um, he and I believe Mark Kelly uh, were at the National Press Club, uh, just sort of giving a, a different perspective and what's going on since this is indeed the final uh, shuttle mission. And he had some very, very interesting things to say about the future of, of NASA and, and what may be on the horizon. So uh, a lot of folks have been wondering, you know, are we losing our edge and, and are we, we going to – is the United States going to lose its preeminence in, in, in space exploration? And General Bolden had some very, very interesting things to say about that fact. So why don't we, why don't we just go ahead and listen to, uh, to uh, NASA Administrator Bolden here and, uh, and l- let him tell the story. Some say that our final shuttle mission will mark the end of America's 50-year dominance in human spaceflight. As a former astronaut, as the current NASA administrator, I'm here to tell you that American leadership in space will continue for at least, at least the next half century because we've laid the foundation for success. And for us at NASA, failure is not an option. So just to recap, uh, uh, Administrator Bolden feels that uh, the U.S. is not losing its uh, preeminence in in space and believes that we we will continue to be the leading nation, or the United States will be the continued to, to continue to be the leading nation for the next 50 years in space exploration, and a lot of people are thinking too out there, and, and this is this is essentially what I'm getting from the public whenever I talk about, uh, about whenever I talk about uh, space to, to folks that they think actually the program is ending with the shuttle that that the U.S. is leaving the stage as it were. With uh, even though we do have a, a a space station orbiting our our heads every every 90 minutes, that the United States is leaving the stage of uh, of space exploration, and uh, Administrator Bolden essentially outlined what is to come and what uh, the president's uh, view is of uh, of space exploration going forward. So uh, why don't we go ahead and and play uh, Administrator Bolden's comments here? and talk, let him talk a little bit about what President Obama has up his sleeve. President Obama has given us a mission with a capital M to focus again on the big picture of exploration and the crucial research and development that will be required for us to move beyond low Earth orbit. He's charged us with carrying out the inspiring missions that only NASA can do, which will take us farther than we've ever been to orbit Mars and eventually land on it. He's asked us to start planning a mission to an asteroid, and right now, our Dawn spacecraft is approaching one of the biggest in the solar system, Vesta, and we're scheduled to drop into orbit around that asteroid the middle of this month. What it finds out could help inform such a future mission to an asteroid. The President is asking us to harness that American spirit of innovation, the drive to solve problems and create capabilities that is so embedded in our story and has led us to the moon, to great observatories, and to humans living and working in space, possibly indefinitely. So once again, uh, Administrator Bolden was saying that uh, uh, we're not leaving the stage. Uh, We have some very interesting uh, prospects for an asteroid rendezvous. 
for uh, going to Mars possibly, uh, first um, doing a, uh, a piloted flyby of the planet in preparation for a landing attempt. So uh, these are the, the objectives that have been laid out by the administration, and NASA wants to go ahead and make sure that it has all of its ducks in a row and has all of the resources it needs to go ahead and accomplish these tasks. So these are the things that are, that are coming, coming ahead for, uh, for space after the shuttle program. So be prepared. There's some, there's some very interesting stuff ahead. The flip side of this, however, is that a lot of people think we're leaving the stage. And uh, there was a very interesting article here. Um, well, actually, uh, Sawyer, there was a, a CNN. Before I even talk about, about the article I want to talk about, uh, Gina Sawyer, there was a CNN uh, program that appeared just tonight, wasn't there, uh, that uh, General Bolden uh, played a part in? Yeah, it was a CNN Presents episode that John Zarella spearheaded and – I think he did an excellent job with um, the introduction, the first 15 minutes of basically capping the space shuttle program. And he had some interesting interviews, and certainly Charlie Bolden was featured among them. But I think by far with what we're talking about here, the best was how – I love how you know Charlie Bolden was saying no matter what all the Apollo counterparts say, he believes that you know the shuttle was strong and it was a great program and NASA is still number one. Yet they also had Apollo 17 astronaut Gene Cernan on, and he said something that was very profound that I thought was very, very, you know, thought-pondering. And he said that, basically, we've had control of space for the last, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. So Russia had it, we finally took it back. And now that we're giving up the shuttle program, basically he said that we're just handing it back to them. Because he said it's the same people, it's the same people, you know, the Soviet Union, just under a different name as Russia. And we finally won it back from them, and now we're just saying, here, you can have it. Okay, but you have to look at this too. Uh, they are – we're not in, the, in a Cold War mode anymore, or at least we shouldn't be. Uh, we are depending on the Russians for getting our crews to the International Space Station for at least the next two to – Two to three years, where the competition part of part of this is over, um, we are we are in a cooperation type mode, not with just Russia either, but with uh, several other countries. So uh, you know, I, I respect uh, Gene Cernan a lot, uh, but I think in that respect, I think he's he may be a little just a tad bit off base. I think it was an appropriate comment for probably the soundbite they were trying to elicit from him. However, he also went on to say that he's an explorer, and we're you know we should be in the business of exploring new places like the Mars, Mars or an asteroid or or whatever. But let's face it, the Russians. I and and I really don't know the answer to this. Maybe I'm wrong, but from what I see, are the Russians developing anything beyond Soyuz, or are they just content? But staying in low Earth orbit, and there's certainly a use to that, as they demonstrate constantly. But we have closed down the shuttle program so we can go back out beyond low Earth orbit. So if that's the case, and yes, I know the interim and the short term stinks that we have to be dependent on them. But, you know, I, I don't hear the Russians, and I, but I don't read the Moscow Times. You know, are they talking about going out beyond 
the moon and you know moon and mars i mean let's face it they haven't yet to go to the moon so i guess i would look at it if we're out of the low earth orbit business are we back on top because we're headed outward again right let me just make it clear that i can't say i agree entirely with gene cern and i definitely you know believe that we're not handing back our control of space. We're handing back our control of low Earth orbit as we continue onward, which I agree with. I mean, the program was great. It actually included a segment on, you know, the asteroid Vega and talked a little bit about, you know, going there. And um, But, you know, it, it's all about getting out of Earth. And right now, basically, they're saying, we hope to continue moving onward afterwards. And the competition now is either going to be entirely private or China and private space nothing really beyond that well to uh to add some things gina i know russia has basically gone ahead and started making musings here and there they essentially come out with some some interesting announcements about a possible replacement for soyuz and a possibility of shooting for the moon and the possibility of going to mars and so on but these things really really never happen right uh, russia likes to make a lot of grandiose statements and demonstrations of the power they have and they don't ever really have the engineering capability to back that up. Right, exactly. And again, Sawyer, as you pointed out, uh, the, the Dawn spacecraft sent back some very interesting uh, photographs of the uh, the Saturn of the uh, asteroid Vesta, which it will be be rendezvousing with later uh, this summer, I believe, uh, in early August, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, uh, again, Vesta. I mean, uh, Dawn is going to go ahead and, and enable us to look at the asteroid Vesta and try to plan uh, what a asteroid, what a piloted asteroid rendezvous would be. So again, we are we're making steps to you know break out of low Earth orbit. I agree with with you wholeheartedly um, on on that that as well. But but getting back to to Gene Cernan. Um, uh, you know, I, he is he is an explorer, and he he said it himself. And and much to much to uh, uh, the space program's credit at this point, we are getting back to our roots. We're gonna, you know, not exactly abandon low Earth orbit. We're basically giving low Earth orbit. We're gonna away to uh, commercial concerns and allowing them to service low Earth orbit and trying to you know help them along. But we want to get back to the business of exploration, and unfortunately, we can't do that with the shuttle running. Uh, the money just isn't there, and uh, unfortunately, because of that, these these great vehicles that have served this country well low these past 30 years, unfortunately, have to be decommissioned, uh, and that's the only downside to this. I personally would have liked to have seen – um, held Endeavor sort of uh, in ordinary, so to speak, and flown her maybe twice a year uh, to make sure that the space station was in good shape and still have access to the ISS and our own guaranteed access. But unfortunately, due to, to, due to the financial constraints of, uh, of uh, this nation has decided that is not a priority. And... Uh, so we have to go ahead and and do something with the resources we have, and I think we're we're moving in that direction. So again, the future is is going to be interesting to watch, and uh, stay tuned, folks. We we hope to go ahead and bring that to you. I hope Talking Space is still around when uh, that goes on, meaning that it happens within the relatively near future. 
Oh, I have a feeling we will be, Sawyer. But yeah, if you get a chance, if they ever re-air the uh, the program on CNN, it was really an interesting program. And there was one thing that to most people is impressive. To us, it wasn't. And that was <laughs> when uh, John Zarello actually went inside. He said, uh, coming up after the break, we get a rare look inside the space shuttle Discovery. And you know what I said to myself? Yawn, Mark already did that. <laughs> Been there, done that. I even tweeted out that, uh, you know, it's great and everything, but uh, Mark Raderman already did that on Talking Space episode 237. <laughs> yeah, but you see, they're the professionals. I bet they looked at their pictures the same day. I didn't look at mine till a week and a half later. <laughs> but theirs was video, not pictures. Oh, that explains it. <laughs> <laughs> so they just got to go in. The only difference is uh, they were inside with Bob Cabana. I don't know, Mark. I still think you you, you really gave a, some good insights and and gave us all the flavor of of what it was like to to crawl through there and uh, and be in be inside such a historic vehicle. And again, I do appreciate uh, you taking the time and and covering that for us. If anyone missed that? Go into the archives of episode two thirty seven. I just want to um, say that what impressed me about that. Um, episode tonight of the CNN Presents ran was a very rare interview that John Zarella was able to get with um, Lauren Onizuka, who is the wife of Ellison Onizuka, who died among, on Challenger. And I would liken her comments to, and sorry, maybe you can fill in here, um, I believe Evelyn Husband, the commander of Columbia, Rick Husband's wife. These are two women that lost their husbands, their worlds. They had children, you know, you know, they have to, and, and she talked about it tonight, you know, she had to face some very kind of hard and difficult comments from her daughter. Her daughter wanted her to die, but come back because she wanted her to go talk to daddy. She had more questions for him. And, you know, it was kind of this very profound, like you, you get an inside look at the, the harsh reality of I, I've lost my son to a space accident or my husband to a space accident. Yet both Lauren Onizuka tonight, and I've heard Evelyn Husband make these same comments that they will both agree in the end that the sacrifice their husbands made was worth it, and that space flight was worth it, human space flight was worth it, and what the space shuttle program has accomplished in its 30 years was worth the lives of their husbands, which to me, that's a completely profound statement. You know, I, I, I don't know if I... I, I hope I'm never, you know, my husband's not an astronaut, but, you know, to make that kind of statement, to give my husband up for something while we have two young children, I mean, that that really says something, that they really believed and they made the ultimate sacrifice, but they see the benefit of exactly what the space shuttle gave back to America, what it gave back to science. And, you know, that that speaks volumes. Indeed, and if if anybody's really interested, uh, Evelyn Husband did write a book about essentially that about uh, Rick Husband's life and uh, the life after uh, Columbia, basically uh, called Higher Calling. And uh, both uh, uh, Evelyn and uh, and and Rick Husband were were people of profound faith, and uh, Evelyn talks about how that got through her, how that faith got got her through those dark days so if anybody's interested 
Alrighty then, so with that, we will continue on to our next story, which is an interesting article that was in an unlikely magazine. It was actually in The Economist. And uh, they point out something very interesting, that uh, first human in geosynchronous orbit doesn't have the best ring to it. And uh, can you explain a little bit more about this article to us, Gene? Sure. Uh, first, I want to thank uh, Dr. Lucy Rogers for passing this article along to me. Uh, uh, she fired this off to me on Twitter earlier. Um, essentially, the article is an editorial in The Economist. Uh, it is t uh, dated uh, June 30th, 2011. And the article is entitled The End of the Space Age, Inner Space is Useful, Outer Space is History. Uh, essentially, what the article says is that the furthest humanity will probably ever get and it will not get there itself is essentially geosynchronous orbit. Uh, they say that uh, indeed satellites have made things uh, good for us here on Earth for communications and GPS and so on, but uh, that piloted space exploration is basically dead, and we will be we will be marking its death on July 8th after the shuttle launches, and that uh, uh, we are retreating from that, basically saying it was a bad idea, and uh, moving forward um, on to other other bigger and better things. Uh, they essentially call the uh, you know the enthusiastic quote space cadets who got the whole thing going and and to call uh, somebody like uh, Werner von Braun and uh, Max Faget and those folks space cadets I find you know ruffles my feathers a little bit. Um, to go on, uh, they essentially say that uh, these folks you know who who support the space program point to Elon Musk's SpaceX and. Uh, you know, orbital sciences and Sierra Nevada and saying, see, it's it's not really dead. It's it's moving forward. Um, but they're saying that that's not really, really indeed the case. Uh, it's uh, they're saying the ISS is going to be deorbited in 2020 and um, and uh, essentially good riddance um, to it. Uh, that's that's essentially the atti the attitude. Uh, once that happens, they're they're saying, "quote Once 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 the ISS is deorbited, in the inelegant jargon of the field, uh, the game is up. There's no appetite to return to the moon, let alone onto Mars, the El Dorado of space exploration. The technology could be there, but the passion is gone, at least in the traditional spacefaring powers, America and Russia." Um, it goes on to say that. Uh, that those in in uh, in spaceflight should uh, uh, you know hope that uh, China and uh, uh, even India go ahead and pick up the baton, but China essentially has no appetite for doing that either, according to this. Um, and they say with with any to quote them to quote the article continuing, they are they are saying that uh, perhaps robotic exploration will will be the the thing of the future. Uh, but um, they, they think that human activity all in all will just be in the realm of geosynchronous orbit, and that's really about it. Boy, I can't tell you how that rough, this whole article ruffled my feathers and how I think they are dead wrong. Um, and uh, for a long time, the, the Economist has been anti-spaceflight and especially anti-piloted spaceflight, and uh, this just falls – 
hand in hand with uh, with their general thoughts. But um, I can't I can't begin to tell you how wrong wrong they are. We are not abandoning space at all, and uh, uh, I will again point to uh, to Bigelow uh, Aerospace for you know developing the the inflatable. Uh, space technologies, which these folks are not uh, not point, which the economist doesn't point out at all. And just as a sidebar, um, it wasn't Bigelow Aerospace that developed it; it was NASA that actually developed the inflatable uh, modules, and just did not have the money to go ahead and pursue them any further. Bigelow Aerospace picked up the technology and is continuing to run with it. And again, it's the same thing with Sierra Nevada's. Um, Dream Chaser. That initially was the HL-20, uh, which was again a NASA critter, and uh, that unfortunately was killed in the in the uh, mid 90s. So, um, yeah, again, this goes hand in hand with another comment that was made a while back with 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 NASA not being innovative. Uh, again, they are. They're being quite innovative here, but. This whole article just just really really rubbed me the wrong way. I think they're being very very short sighted, and uh, they don't mention the multi purpose crew vehicle that's in development right now or the space launch system that's also in development right now. Uh, they, they apparently they they've kind of just missed the boat on that, or they're not, or their editorial staff is not aware of it. Uh, so you know, again, I think they are just way off the mark here. And I'm, I'm going to open this up to the floor. What uh, what do you guys think about all this? It's just kind of amazing to me that um, it doesn't sound like this person who was writing an editorial has the entire story. And, you know, The Economist is a well-respected journal, and it seems uh, fortunate that he's not really telling the entire tale. Because I think if you're new, obviously, multi-purpose crew vehicle, uh, you talked more about uh, the Augustine Commission, where things were headed, Um you know, whether that was, uh, you know, it's debatable whether that was done right or not. Um, you know, there's certainly more to be told. Space shuttle ending is a chapter in NASA's history that's being closed, but it, it's not the end. And you certainly cannot deny what's happening in commercial space right now. And if the economists should know anything, they should know and be able to spot new industries that are coming online and I think this guy's just uh, misinformed. Again, they do mention uh, the uh, uh, both SpaceX and here. They also mention, uh, and I'll, I'll read directly from from the article. "Quote: Today, space cadets will no doubt oppose the claim of you know space pro- the, the uh, piloted space program being a bust. Uh, they will, in particular." Uh, Point to the private ventures of people like Elon Musk in America and Sir Richard Branson in Britain, who hope to make human spaceflight commercially viable. Uh, and he, they say, indeed, the enterprise of such people might just do that, but the market seems small and vulnerable. Um, one part, space tourism, is a luxury service that is, in any case, unlikely to go beyond low Earth orbit. At best, the cost of, of even getting as far as the moon would reduce the number of potential clients to a handful. Another source of revenue is ferrying astronauts to the uh, much much maligned International Space Station. Surely this is the biggest waste of money at 100 billion dollars and counting that's ever been built in the name of science. So you can get you can see the where this is going already. Yeah. So clearly he's just not a fan. So okay, thank you. We appreciate your opinion. Let's just all move on. 
Yeah, you know that that that's you know it, it, again. I, I was reading this last night, and it, it just it just seriously ruffled my feathers about the whole thing. And uh, I, I think the Economist again is missing the point. I think the editorial staff is, as far as whoever wrote this, is again missing the point. There's a whole new industry being born right before their very eyes, as far as uh, commercial space, and we'll just have to see where it all goes. But uh, uh, to say that uh, this was a big waste of time is uh, <laughs> is one of the biggest, biggest, biggest wrong things I've heard anybody say, and that is, you know, it's just sad that that they just don't see it that way. I mean, to call the International Space Station much maligned that that's just going a little extreme. Was it what it was originally designed to be? No. Was it supposed to be completed in about 2005? Yes, but. It's 2011. It's relatively complete to this point. The space shuttle has finished its building of the International Space Station, and it's become an extremely viable orbiting laboratory, as we've even heard when we've had people on the show who've talked about it. It's a spectacular, you know, achievement of mankind to build something that big in space that just orbits, and we can get so much information about humans in space and use that information back here on Earth. It's spectacular. Yeah, well, not only that, you know, the, the ISS actually was first uh, proposed by Ronald Reagan in 1984, and he proposed that it would be finished within a decade. Unfortunately, it just wasn't to be, and uh, they ran into uh, some a lot of uh, uh, issues, but it did finally uh, – you know, we could finally st- say stick a fork in it. It's done. And indeed, yeah, but you know what? When he made that claim, you got to look at what was going on. I mean, Skylab, they hooked up a few uh, Apollo Saturn V pieces with some connector rings and, uh, you know, converted it to a space station. I mean, I don't think his claim based on engineering history at that point was all that far off. I mean, sometimes you just don't know how long something's going to take you until you actually do it. And yet that was the space station freedom, which when you look at the International Space Station, though, if you get rid of the time where with the Columbia disaster and the time where there was no shuttles flying, it totals up to exactly 10 years that from the first piece in 98 until if you exclude the three years of Columbia back in 2011, that's 10 years. Well, the problem with space station freedom was, again, it went through <laughs> I don't know how many how many redesigns, uh, but it. And then uh, finally, uh, I believe the Clinton administration stepped in and said, "Okay, um, let's try to see what we can do to 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 help the the money out," and got international partners involved. And I think that kind of that kind of spurred the whole whole project along and and gave it the resources to be completed. Uh, but um, you know, and and at the time, I, I was a little skeptical of that actually working. Uh, when that announcement was was, was actually made, uh, I was actually an intern over over at National Space Society, and I, I kind of looked at uh, um, uh, David Brandt, and I kind of was was re- he was he handed me this, and I'm like, you're kidding, and we kind of just kind of looked at each other and went, huh? So um, we'll just see if this all works, and uh, lo and behold, it has, and it, it it not only has it has it worked, but I think it's it's forged a. Uh, a, a, a partnership among nations that might be able to tackle bigger projects 
So we'll we'll just have to see what comes out of it. But again, to call call the ISS the you know, and again, let me just quote the article here for for a moment. The biggest waste of money at one hundred hundred billion dollars and counting that's ever been built in the name of science, I think, is just I it is it is really really far off the mark. Uh, I. Again, I, Gina, I'm with you. This individual obviously has not really looked at, at any of this even before writing it and uh, has just dismissed the whole thing as a bad idea even before doing his homework. Yeah, well, clearly he's got a slant to it that he's not a fan of spaceflight. So right. I got to figure he probably um, doesn't follow it enough to know all of the angles and um, advances that are currently in the pipeline. So. I'm just going to dismiss it as uninformed or ill-informed. I'll say ill-informed. Uh, to follow that up, uh, there was another article in the Mercury News uh, by Angela Hill. Um, this was actually coming from the Oklahoma, the Oklahoma, the Oakland Tribune, on um, just uh, today, uh, seven as we record this, seven uh, July third. NASA space shuttle program ends this month. Does anybody actually care? Is the way it was was entitled, and it essentially says that okay, fine, the the, the shuttle program is ending, um, but does you know John Q. Citizen really really care that it is ending, and um, what does that mean for for the rest of the United States going for, forward? And to quote um, somebody that she had interviewed for the article, and I'm quoting directly from the article here, quote, When I was a kid, it, it was totally, totally into space, and I wanted to be an astronaut, but honestly, these days, it just doesn't affect us all that much compared with other things we need to work on. Um, again, to uh, quote another individual she interviewed here uh, by the name of uh, Marianne Tarantino, 55, of, uh, I believe, Clayton, California, and I'm guessing. Um, space exploration is too expensive. It's not that I'm against exploring space. I guess it's important to keep up with Russia and China on that. Um, she identifies herself uh, as a legal secretary who works in, in, in Oakland. Uh, but she goes, it's just the wrong time for us to be doing this. The costs are too great when people are living in fear of losing their homes, close quote. And again, this is an individual that doesn't seem to realize that the um, NASA budget has essentially been flat for the past um, few years. It is only – what is it? Uh, and, and somebody correct me here. It is only – Point zero five of the percent of the national budget. Point four five. Thank you, Sawyer. Point uh, four five. I stand corrected. Of the nat- national budget, at about maybe around seventeen billion dollars annually. And if it were to go away tomorrow, it would not solve any of the problems that we still have out there. It would just be simply a drop in the bucket. We would not even know <laughs> we had the money, and it would just simply get lost in the uh, in the national budget. Somebody pointed out too, and and that uh, the entire NASA budget equals the entire budget that the um, United States Army has spent for air conditioning, air conditioners in in Iraq and Afghanistan. 
um, there was another uh, commentary too. Uh, I, I believe um, that was tweeted out there that uh, we've spent about 3.7 billion dollars on pet food and uh, an, annually in this country, and I don't know how many billions of dollars we spend on video games. So to say that we don't have the money. Um, <laughs> We have the money. We have the resources. It's just do we have the will, and um, that's something that we have to figure out as a nation. Sometimes will is more powerful than a budget. Yeah, just talk to uh, um, just talk to uh, John F. Kennedy and uh, his words. So while we're talking about shuttle-related articles, there was another one that was released as an opinion, which uh, I first read actually. In the July 3rd, 2011 New York Post by Phil Plate, better known as Bad Astronomer, who has his own TV show as well. Basically, he put out an interesting article talking about, almost similar to the CNN thing that uh, Gene and I discussed before, discussing a little bit about the shuttle program and where we go from there. Now, I just want to read one particular quote from this that I thought that was just a phenomenal way of looking at this. It says, quote, the shuttle missions were billed as routine, but NASA shouldn't be doing the routine. The role of our space agency is to innovate, invent, design, push the limits, cross the borders. And once that's done, once it becomes routine, they should hand it over to the others. Yeah, again, uh, he, uh, Dr. Plate is basically saying the same thing that we've said on this program several times. And I'll quote again directly from the article. He says, quote, let private companies take over low Earth, or Earth or orbit operations and let NASA be, f be free to pursue literally loftier, loftier goals. What the president and what Congress want isn't all that different, and we shouldn't let uh, inaction leave us with no vision. NASA fu NASA's future does, does depend on the decisions made in the next year, year or two. If nothing is done, nothing will get done. And we, we've we've basically said uh, in the past here that yeah I'm I'm all for letting um, commercial uh, commercial folks take low Earth orbit operations over. We've been there, we've done that, we know how to do it, and we know how to do it well. And NASA could be an incredible teacher for these individuals that want to go ahead and use low Earth orbit as a springboard for private industry and. You know, let them have at it. Uh, let, let's see what develops from there. But I agree with, with Dr. Plate. Uh, NASA should be doing the bigger things. And for the longest time, we haven't. I mean, the shuttle has been a, a remarkable machine. Don't get me wrong. Uh, for the past 30 years, it has served this nation very well indeed. It has lofted the International Space Station. That will be its legacy. Uh, the Hubble Space Telescope will also be part of that legacy, uh, but it's time to go ahead and let private industry go ahead and, and exploit low Earth orbit and let NASA go off and do what it does best, which is explore. And I hope that after Atlantis uh, goes wheel stop that that will signal not the end but the beginning it will signal the beginning of going back to our exploration routes. And uh, I agree with Phil Plate wholeheartedly. All right, and so that brings an end to this very shuttle-centric episode. So remember, you can listen to all of us. All four of us will be live at the Kennedy Space Center 
Our coverage begins July 8, 2011 at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time. Launch is scheduled for 11.26 a.m. Eastern as well. So we'll hope you join us for that on the website astronomy.fm. There's more information about that on our website, TalkingSpaceOnline.com, so we'll hope you join us. But for now, I'd like to thank everybody for joining us on this episode, including Gene McCulka. Thank you. Happy Canada Day to our friends again in uh, in Canada, and happy Independence Day to everyone here in the United States. And Sawyer, I am really looking forward to next week and rolling up our sleeves. We've got a lot of work to do, and it's going to be fun. <laughs> looking forward to that as well, and uh, hopefully we will be posting on our website on a blog, which uh, the link to that is talkingspaceonline.com slash one. Three, five. Actually, one other thing, Sawyer. Uh, just just a point point of uh, of uh, order here. This will mark the first time that everyone here involved with this show will be under one roof. It has never happened before. You should say I, under one ten, technically. <laughs> yeah, technically, yeah. <laughs> But again, I am so looking forward to working with everybody in person. We've we've been doing this show for the longest time through Skype, and I'm I'm really really getting goosebumps thinking about working with with each one of you side by side in in the same location. I'm I'm really looking forward to that seriously. Thank you as well for joining us, Mark Raderman. No wise guy comments from me. I'm behaving tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you as well for joining us, Gina Hurley. Oh, absolutely, and I'm looking forward to meeting you in person, Sawyer, next week. Yes, we need a voice of reason as we all meet with each other here, and that will be hopefully you. So once again, we'd like to thank you for joining us, and as always, have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be, where you are, and go Atlantis. (laughs) 